What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Sports Kingdom Show. I am your host, Eric, the Duke of Sports Sklar. I am joined by my co-host, the one and only Mr. 360, Tyler Pacholke, and, of course, co-host, producer extraordinaire, Jacob Gonzalez. Before we start the show, thank you so much for listening, everyone. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you decide to listen to the Sports Kingdom Show so you can stay up to date on the newest episodes of the show. Don't forget to follow at TSK Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow all of us as well at The Duke of Sports, at Tyler Pacholke, and at Jacob Double underscore Gonzalez. On this episode of The TSK Show, Jacob and I are in studio, and Tyler will be joining us on the phone again since we still must abide by safer-at-home orders here in Los Angeles due to the coronavirus. Tonight, we're going to recap the first-ever virtual NFL draft, and we are going to discuss the steps the NBA is attempting to take to resume the season as some states are beginning to try to slowly roll back some of their stay-at-home restrictions. We'll also share our thoughts on episodes three and four of The Last Dance that aired this past Sunday night on ESPN. To close the show, I'll throw five more hypotheticals that I found on Twitter from my running list at Tyler and Jacob. So, all right, let's start the show. What's going on, TP? How you living, man? Yeah, I just surviving. <laughs> exactly, you're living. Yeah, trying to get by. Yep. Jacob, how you doing, man? Just another day. You yeah. know, had work earlier today. How'd that go? It was all right. You know, just like I said, just another day goes by and, you know, you can just uh, just take it day by day. Just ran, ran a radio show. show. Exactly, yeah. Ran a radio show that thousands of people were listening to. No big deal. No big deal, you know. But all right. Another day in the office. <laughs> all right. Like we've been doing the last couple of weeks, I got a question for the guys before we get into everything. I want to know, guys, what's the first thing you guys are going to do once this quarantine is over? Jacob, why don't you give your answer first? Uh, for sure, get a haircut. Oh. Yes. Uh, That's a you, great yeah, answer. You, you can't see me right now, but, well, you can. Yeah. Tyler's at home. But I'm looking a little Korean, you know. It's Korean? Getting, yeah. It's getting it's getting Korean Bush kind of thing. You I, don't know? Know, I don't even know what that means. Uh, well, you got to go look at, like, Kim Jong-un or something, and you'll, you'll oh, see geez. what I mean. But I don't know if you want to um, be looking like him right now. No, yeah, exactly. But, yeah, definitely go get a haircut, a proper haircut. Yeah, I need a haircut bad. That and, pro- well, that's one thing, but I probably want to go work out again and go to a good restaurant to go eat. Okay. Tyler, what about you? What's the what's the first thing you're going to do? Yeah, I got to go to, like, a like a, a bar. Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> you know, get a bunch of bar food and just, like, you know, just kind of get back to normal life. I think a bar would just feel like, you know, things are kind of back to normal. Yeah, I think for me, one of the first things I thought of, I want to go to Venice Beach, get a run and play some basketball and then go jump in the ocean. That's like for me, one one thing I want to do after this quarantine. Oh, yeah, I definitely miss yeah. playing basketball. Like you can't even do that now. Yeah. Like, the other day, I just did some like handling drills out in, uh, in the backyard and it's not the same. No, not at all. No hoop, no nothing, nobody yeah. to play with. Yeah, I want to go. I want to go get some shots up. 
like little kids trapped, you know, before recess. <laughs> exactly. Just, tra- just trapped inside. It's that's really what it feels like. That's ex- no, that's exactly yeah. what it feels like. It's like. That's a great you're, analogy. You're waiting for recess, but it's never going to come. Uh, just, yeah, it feels forever. But, all right. Uh, oh, also, we debuted a new logo. That I thought that was pretty cool. Uh, I think our new logo uh, yeah. is dope. Yeah. Uh, if yeah. you haven't had the chance to see it, go check it out on our Instagram at TSK Show or any of our social medias. Really, just type in at TSK Show on any social media platform, and we'll pop up for you. So check out the new logo. It's uh, pretty cool. I think it definitely definitely a nice change. Yeah. No, it, it looks good. I was happy with it. Yeah. So all right, let's let's hop into these uh, topics first thing we wanted to cover tonight is obviously the NFL draft. It was the first virtual draft and well, it wasn't the first virtual draft in sports. The WNBA had their draft a week prior to the NFL draft, but it was the first virtual NFL draft and the first round of the NFL draft shattered previous TV records. The first round had an average audience of 15.6 million viewers. Now, there weren't really any technical issues like I hoped there would be for entertainment's sake, but honestly, I'm glad that there weren't any serious tech issues and everything went off without a hitch because it would have been really bad for the NFL if something were to were to go wrong. But I think so many people did tune in for that factor of they wanted to see if something was going to go wrong technically. Yeah, they just wanted to see an issue. But honestly, in all fairness, though, the NFL did a great job. And it turned out pretty well. There wasn't major issues, and there was a lot of viewers. I feel like fans were engaged. So to me, they did a you know, tip, tip my head off to the NFL. Then, yeah, well, it, it went good. I mean, it looks like, it looks like Tyler guys, was right. He was the only one out of all three of us that said it was going to be fine. Yeah, <laughs> me and Eric yeah, were over man, here saying it was going to be a complete crap show. Uh, you guys are acting like it's Y2K. I mean, it's, it's, <laughs> it's a, there's an illness out there. It's not gonna. It's not gonna. Well, affect, everybody's panicking, you know, man. Well, I thought the factor that I worry about was how many people will be watching because when you have a lot of people watching, you know, something that's being streamed, uh, sometimes it can kind of get too busy and it'll it'll affect the quality of the video. So uh, they did a good job of handling it all, but they're the NFL, of course. Yeah. Now, do you think this is something that the NFL could adopt for the future, even without the coronavirus? Because I kind of liked seeing the prospects at home with their families. It kind of saves people the, I don't, I guess for lack of a better term, embarrassment of maybe sliding in the draft and just sitting in the green room, just waiting to get picked. I, I kind of liked everyone being at home with their families and seeing the family's reactions to a lifelong dream being fulfilled. It'd be interesting to hear what, like, the players felt about that as far as like, you know, does it really matter or is it a big deal? You know, when you're a six round pick, do you still want to see, you know, the the commissioner walk up there and say your name? Uh, It's kind of just like an event, but it would be cool to kind of see it eventually go to like first round is like a live event. And then the rest of it is just kind of streaming. Yeah. definitely. You You just kind of have the kids in the war room type of deal. I mean, if you did give them a choice, though, 
they would probably want it to go back to normal, obviously. But well, I do like the yeah, idea. Yeah, I, I do like the I idea of them being at home with their families, though, because, yeah, you don't want to be sitting in the green room and you're saying, yeah, it does save you the embarrassment. But it's also nice to sit with your family and your friends that have helped you get there. Well, I'm not I'm not saying that, like, the whole draft be uh, virtual. I'm saying, like, there still be, like, well, a pieces live show. of it, yeah. So you can incorporate a little bit, like, half draft uh, being, like, online virtual, but then having the majority of it be how it normally is right but I'm, I'm saying like just have like the commissioner at like a stage in a room with a ballroom and like all the nfl executives that's like their war room area kind of how they did it back in the old days where they would have to call in and they were sitting at these tables in the in the foreground of the draft area but having the players at home with their families i thought was kind of a neat twist to it this year and it kind of made it a lot more personal for me to to watch these these guys and their families celebrate the the lifelong dream of be becoming an NFL player. Yeah, cuz a lot of the times too when these uh these players go to the actual um event where they're holding the draft, their other family can't go out there. Right. Maybe it's like a brother or a parent, you know, or a, a close yeah, cousin or a friend. Limited tickets are yeah, available. You have limited tickets and seating. And so to me this is cool because you're sitting on your couch or your living room or wherever in your own house as a player that's waiting to get drafted. And to me, that was the cool part, like you're saying, that you got to share that moment with more of your family, not just one or two people. Yeah, that's why it'd be interesting to hear what the players would think. Like, would you give up the kind of the ceremony to be with your family? Yeah. So, all right, let's let's kind of get into some of the picks. I know last week we talked a lot about the quarterbacks. So uh, I think the conversation tonight will be pretty similar Obviously, Joe Burrow went number one, and then there was a lot of talks of what Miami was going to do and if, let's say, the Chargers would maybe trade up to number three to get Tua, but ultimately Tua ends up in Miami. What do we think? Is is that going to be the answer? Is it – I mean, now Tua and Josh Rosen are obviously in a competition for the number one spot in Miami. They just haven't given well, Rosen a fair chance, though. I think they still have Fitzpatrick, too. Oh, yeah, they do still have Fitzpatrick. You're right. They have a great – no, I mean, Tua, Tua won't be expected to play at all this year. No, I don't like, think so. Best case scenario. So, I actually really like the Dolphins quarterback situation um, because Tua comes in, he gets to just learn for a year, uh, and he's your guy moving forward. I think he's a franchise quarterback. I think he's the best quarterback in the draft. Like I said last week, um, I'm stoked that he's in Miami. I think it's gonna it's good for for the Dolphins. Uh, you know, Tom Brady's out of the AFC East, so all those AFC East teams are kind of licking their chops to kind of get it. And then we got Josh Rosen and uh, Fitzpatrick, I believe, on contract years. I'm I'm pretty sure Rosen is on a contract year, but he may have two years left. Either way, these guys are going to be playing for their next job. So I think it's a, it's a good dynamic to have Rosen fighting to get his career started. Uh, I hope that Rosen can find a place to kind of settle in because I think he's good. I kind of wish Rosen would have went to Green Bay. You know, it would have been better kind of situation. But Fitzpatrick could win the job too. So uh, they've got – which is good. You want competition at quarterback. So I think they're sitting pretty. Yeah. Just because Tua won't. You know, because next year, next year they'll only have two of those guys, and you need two quarterbacks. So you could see the you could see Rosen and Fitzpatrick fight for the starting spot this year, and then the following year, 
the two as backup. Yeah, I I couldn't agree more. Now, at number six, Justin Herbert got drafted by the L.A. Chargers. Uh, GM Tom Telesco went on Pat McAfee's uh, radio show and told him that they would have drafted Tua if Justin Herbert had went to Miami. So clearly Tyrod Taylor is the quarterback of the present, but he's not the quarterback of the future for the Chargers. They clearly see something in Herbert. I think he's a solid prospect. I'm not sure he's the best quarterback in this class, but he could be at the end, like at the end of the road, who knows? And being with an organization like the Chargers that's had a long successful stint of having a franchise quarterback, if they can mold him into something anything like Philip Rivers was, that's a that's a win for them. Yeah, his name doesn't bring a lot of excitement because when I saw that they got him, obviously your first option would have been Tua, like Tom Telesco said, but to me, he made a lot of mistakes in college um, that were just kind of bonehead mistakes. I don't so I don't know if that's going to transition over in his in his NFL career. Like I hope it doesn't, and I hope he's success, uh, successful with them. But yeah, everyone hopes that. Yeah, uh, Herbert, I think is. I mean, he's the prototype. He's a great. He's a stud. I think he's going to be a starting quarterback in the NFL for sure. And if the Chargers want to roll with him, I think uh, by no later than year two, he's their starting quarterback. It'd be good if. Tyrod Taylor could start this first year for him. Um, but, you know, if he's anywhere near ready to go, they got to go with him right now because they want to win. They're they're ready to pop. Chargers are ready to pop. So if he can play, you know, even like average starting quarterback caliber play, Chargers are going to be really good. And he and he's a, like I said, he's just a prototype. I'm excited to see what, what happens because he's got big time potential. He has huge ceilings. He's like six six. Uh, he's just a gunslinger. Uh, lots of court, lots of experience at Oregon. Um, so I'm excited. I'm excited for all the quarterbacks drafted. I think they got into like good spots outside of Jordan Love. Yeah, we'll we'll get to Jordan Love in a second. But yeah. no, like you like you were saying with Herbert though, I think ultimately the goal for the Chargers is to have him start next season, day one, and obviously for Tyrod to kind of to hold hold over the spot basically this year and be there to, to kind of teach him how to be an NFL starter since Tyrod knows how to do that. But I think ultimately, yeah, the goal is for him to be starter day one next year. And if he, if he does look ready by this season, he should get an opportunity to, to get some burn. He will look ready. Uh, it just, you just don't want to force it. And I think if you got Tyrod play him, you know, you have a plan like, Hey, we play Tyrod first four games. Uh, if we go, you know, three and one, four and zero, oh, we'll just keep rolling with Tyrod because we have because they have a good football team. Everything else is in place, so it's really just we need good quarterback play. If we win, we'll roll with him. It's like a luxury. Uh, if we're two and two, one one and three, then we're putting in the rookie. Yeah, exactly. It's a it's a win win scenario for them. He, he's going to be a good player. I, I, I hope that. I hope that he adapts a chip on your shoulder kind of step little step brother, little brother kind of mentality being a charger in Los Angeles. He's gonna get a new stadium. Uh, you know, he's in a big city. Let's just see if he can live up to it. He was a fan of the Chargers, apparently growing up. So Yeah, he was. I saw if that. If, you know, it's 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 gonna be good that he's all is that that means he's probably gonna be all in and his work ethic's gonna be there and uh, Tyrod is a great mentor. 
that's just like a great person. You know, Tyron knows the offense already. Tyron knows the players, knows the vets. He's been in the league 10 plus years. Uh, I'm, I'm excited for, for the Chargers quarterback situation. Yeah. Now, all right. The biggest headline, I think, from, from the first round was Jordan Love getting drafted by the Green Bay Packers. Green Bay actually traded up from 30th uh, to 26. For, uh, they traded with Miami. And Aaron Rodgers must have been and probably still is very pissed. I know people are comparing this situation to when Aaron got drafted, when Favre was still the quarterback for the Packers. But Rodgers fell to the Packers. He wasn't supposed to still be on the board when the Packers were put on the clock. The Packers traded up to get a rookie quarterback when arguably one of the greatest quarterbacks of not only this generation, but of all time still has four years left on his deal. This isn't the same situation to me. And Rodgers, I think, has every right to be pissed off. They were a game away from the Super Bowl last year. They didn't draft a single wide receiver. They didn't get Aaron Rodgers any sort of weapon. And they had such a poor performance on offense in that NFC Championship game. I was definitely expecting them to get Aaron Rodgers some weapons. And with this wide receiver class in the draft being so deep, they had so many options they could have gone with. Which Did you see the uh, the comment by Favre, too? He said that after next year or he doesn't see he doesn't see uh Rodgers with the Packers in the future. Well, yeah, after this move. I it, may, I mean, it I makes can, sense. Yeah, I can agree with that 100%. It's like yeah. You've seen you've seen the the Packers struggle to get weapons for for Rodgers and they just haven't done it and you go out and draft a backup quarterback. Aaron Rodgers for his career has only thrown one. I repeat one touchdown to a first-round draft pick, and that was a touchdown to Mercedes Lewis, and Mercedes Lewis wasn't even drafted by the Green Bay Packers in the first round. Yeah, there's a lot to unravel with, the, with this. <laughs> I think. You, it's, it's just... I, I'm so, lay, it on, lay it on me, TP. I'm so confused. I mean, I, Everyone I really is. Have, I don't understand uh, why. There's so many other... Not, even if you didn't go receiver, uh, it just doesn't make sense, but... If I'm going to play, you know, if I'm going to look at this from all angles for the ownership, it's kind of like. They hey, don't man, have if, an owner, if, though. Or uh, whoever's drafting, whoever the general manager is. Yeah. Who's the general manager? Um, it's just, you know, all they can say is if you really think that you, you're a guy, you got a guy that you think could be the man. And, that you know, they're like, it's their Mahomes. And they're like, you know, Andy Reid traded up to get him and drafted him ahead of Deshaun Watson. And so. It's it's just and they had Alex Smith um, before he was even injured, so it's just like they had everything in line as well. So from an owner standpoint, if he's your guy, throw that one hundred percent in it. I understand. And then on the other on the other hand, I think that if he develops into a good quarterback, you have like tremendous trade value, similar to like a New England situation with Garoppolo. Um, you can really you can really kind of like play around with that if someone wanted to trade for a franchise quarterback if you think that he's available. So you do have that trade aspect there. But if I'm Jordan Love, you know, I'm kind of just like, fuck, this sucks. You know, like, it's probably really awkward for him. I mean, I, mean, oh, I, know, it he's has to be. I know he wants, I know he's excited to be an NFL player and play for the Green Bay Packers and all of that. But on the other hand, he understands what's going on. Um, yeah, but all, all the headlines awesome. but it's not his see fault. it as a negative thing, though. Right, but yeah, it, like yeah. you're saying, it's not his fault. No, it's not. And then from Aaron's perspective, it's like, I know he has nothing 
you know, he's only going to be supportive of Jordan Love. Like, he's only going to be – he'll mentor him. You think him, so? You know, I absolutely. I absolutely. Because it's not Jordan Love's fault. But I think 100% Aaron Rodgers is not happy. And I think that they completely botched this relationship. And, all, and you know, I can't tell the future, but in my mind, Rodgers' day is like a year or two left in Green Bay now. Yeah, how long would you it, say he it, has? Just another it, year or it, so? It just it just depends. Like if Buffalo's situation, hold on, Tyler, 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 hold on. You dropped out for a second. Start start that statement over. Uh, it's just it just depends on how Jordan Love's progression goes. It depends on if he's a Mahomes situation or like a Garoppolo situation. Where did, does he develop like at a good rate to where you could trade him? Is he the guy where you just like push Aaron out? Because you truly, you know, he is like your Mahomes type of, you know, game-changing quarterback, which, you know, he does have a crazy ceiling. And then, you know, it's like you can't believe that Aaron is going to play out this contract with this guy down his neck the whole four years. So, in my mind, I think, like, two years, it's going to be really interesting to see if we can get through two seasons, two more seasons uh, with those two, both in Green Bay. One of them's got to go. One of them's got to go before the – Four years is up, and I'd be pissed if I was Aaron, man. Well, pissed. Let's also not forget. Think about think about all the headlines we saw last year after uh, Matt Lafleur got hired, and how there was uh, kind of a butting of the heads between Aaron Rodgers and Matt Lafleur. And then the Packers had all this success during the season and kind of dispelled all those rumors. And then come the draft, they completely do a flip flop of making it all good. Yeah, you had and, one and step completely forward, blow it off steps again. back. There's no way I I I don't I can't believe that Malafor would know that he has to be stunned. I gotta I gotta think, assume that he was like on no, draft day. What the fuck? Are we, no, he had to be in doing? on it, Tyler. The coach had to be in on it. The head coach, come on. Uh, you, you never know, man. Uh, it's just like that's a crazy. It's crazy, but like I said, if you want to spin it around, it, it's like if he is a franchise quarterback. And they traded what they traded a couple picks to trade up. It's like you end up getting a franchise. If you end up getting a franchise caliber quarterback to those picks, and, and then you can flip that into another piece that you know to help Rodgers. But Rodgers needs help now. They they completely botched it. They were a game away from the Super Bowl. Yeah, no, they blew it. I mean, I, I, I don't understand why they did it. And it showed well, too well, that they didn't have weapons in that game against the Niners. Very much so. No. No, they need that's that's why that's why Tom you know that's part of Tom Tom leaving is because upper management's always fucking around doing shit like this and they're not getting your boy some weapons. It's like you got to get the guy some help. Uh, I think you owe him that, and you definitely didn't need to, to go and draft a quarterback of all things. Like you know, I think that they would have been pissed if they would win defense or or anything other than wide out or you know really um, just. I think they blew it, but we'll see if, if they have two franchise quarterbacks in the roster, it could turn out to be a good thing in the long run for Green Bay. Listen, it, I know I, I know, I said at the beginning of all this that the, the Favre and Rodgers situation is not the same situation as this Love and Rodgers situation, but if it can turn out to be the same results, then uh, the Packers were right. But I'm with you. I don't think this is the same situation, and if I'm Aaron Rodgers, there's no way in hell that I'm not pissed. Oh, no, he has to be pissed. Yeah, there's no way. Now, I haven't heard from him. No, and I don't think since, we are going to hear from yeah, him for a while. Since the draft, but and you probably, yeah, you probably won't. But 
you know he's he's burning up inside. Yeah. You give you yeah, you give I mean, the franchise did. everything you gave and then they go ahead and you know, draft a younger quarterback. Come no, on. No, they now. stuck it in his yeah. face. You could see you could see him requesting a trade any day now. I'm I I'd you be know, shocked if he hadn't any, already. Any day now he could request a trade. I, that's that's why I don't think it, it that's the difference between the Rodgers Barb uh scenario is Jordan Love, they're not sitting this kid for four years and then going to let Aaron walk. It's just, that's it, why, you know, like now's your time to win a Super Bowl with Aaron in these four years. Get him things are going to help him. Don't get prepared for year five through 10, not, you know, with Aaron. It's just stupid. Yeah. All right. The, the next guy I wanted to talk about, this was also kind of confusing to me, but then again, it also makes sense at the end of the day. Jalen Hurts being drafted by Philadelphia. What did you What did you think of that move, Tyler? What does that mean for Carson Wentz? Hey, we've talked about it on this show a bunch, right? Backup quarterbacks. Yeah, and, uh, I've preached about how uh, how valuable they really are. You have to have two good quarterbacks because it's almost a fifty fifty shot if your guy's going to go go down at some point in in the in the sixteen games. I'd be interested to see how many quarterbacks start sixteen games a year. I bet it. I bet it's close to you know sixteen, fifteen, sixteen guys. Yeah, I was gonna. I'd say it might like, even be less than that. Exactly. So you have to invest in that position, and if Jalen Hurts is a borderline, I'm really excited for Jalen Hurts because uh, be a good NFL player. I think he's in the mold of like uh, a Russell, a Russell Wilson, a Deshaun Watson, um, Kyler Murray. You know, as far as like the stature. You know, this kind of quarterback can win games now, uh, and he's only won at the collegiate level. So uh, you need a backup quarterback. Uh, Wentz is injury prone. I just think it, it – I don't think it's that crazy. I don't think it's as crazy as people think. You know, they brought Michael Vick in uh, right in the middle of Nick Foles' kind of run, you know, and then – Yeah, the first happened? run. Yeah, and then what happened? Nick Foles goes down. So – Big thrives. It's it's uh it's not that crazy to me, and I'm I'm excited. Hurts. I think it, I think it's he's used to like good structure as far as football goes. I mean, playing for Saban in Alabama, and then playing in Oklahoma, and now playing in like a Philadelphia Eagles type of structure. It's uh it's gonna be good. Yeah. No. I, at first, I was kind of thrown off by the pick, but then the more I thought about it, it's it's everything like you just said. At the end of the at the at the end of the day, Wentz is injury prone, and he's not. He hasn't Wentz, been able to Wentz complete is, a full season, and having Wentz is their franchise quarterback. Yeah, you know, like Wentz, Wentz is the is number guy, one. But, but they drafted him to have a high level second, you know, backup quarterback. Definitely. They have they have a good football team. There's not a ton of. You know, there probably wasn't a guy that's really going to improve their team a bunch. Now they just bought an insurance policy. Right. I think that that's the the classic question is, do you draft best available or do you draft fit? I think this was a uh, a scenario of, of best available because they do have a pretty solid team already to where they are. They are capable of making a deep playoff run if they they really put their mind to it. And and drafting the best available player is what helps them and what is their fit. If your franchise is in the position to draft best available, that's a great thing. And and I think that a lot of the times it works out more than it doesn't. 
Yeah. Because typically they get the teams that can do it have good structure or they have a good team in place so they can take the risk. Um, and they can, you know, just take the best guy available and see how he helps the group. Yeah. All right. A couple more quick notes before we wrap up the draft talk with uh, talking about the Seahawks and Rams. One thing I wanted to note was obviously the Trent Williams saga finally has come to an end. He was traded from the Washington Redskins to the San Francisco 49ers. I think that's a great, great move for San Francisco, obviously getting another big body to protect uh, Jimmy G. It's here's, here's why I'm not. So here's why I, it was, it was scary at first and now I don't, their, their left tackle just retired. Yeah. Uh, Luke Staley. So it's like, it's kind of just like Joe Staley. Joe Staley. It's kind of like the same, same team. You know what I mean? Like they didn't, it's, I'm, I'm happy that they don't have both of them. I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, no, but I mean, listen, I mean, that's a good, that's a big time pickup for a division rival of both of ours. Yeah, definitely. That's, uh, that's the one thing I'm scared about is now I got to see Trent yeah. Williams twice a year. No, absolutely. That's, that's, that's what I see too. I follow the NFC West, you know, as closely as anything. And, and, and speak of the NFC West, I think they got to steal the draft and, and Isaiah Simmons going 10 to the Cardinals. That's another NFC West player. Yeah, that was that huge. I'm not, I'm not happy about him going there. I think that the Cardinals are just getting ready to pop, man. They're yep. going to be a, a, a dangerous football team. They just keep stockpiling talent. They got some players on the. I think Simmons is is a is is close to a, like a sure thing as it gets. Now let's hope I don't curse him with the Aaron Curry kind of kind of deal. But I don't think that's it. This kid is, I think, special. I think he's going to be. You know, he could be a Pro Bowl linebacker for the Cardinals. Yeah. All right, last thing before we get to the Seahawks and Rams. Matt Rule and the Carolina Panthers, obviously this is his first year as head coach, first draft. They used all seven of their draft picks on seven defensive players. This is the first team since the 85 Browns to use all of their draft picks on one side of the ball. What did you think of the Panthers and Matt Rule going all defense with this draft? I, I mean, I like it. I like the idea of a draft strategy, and I like the idea of making all three of your – to me, and maybe I'm influenced by John Schneider or the Seahawks GM, but it's like to me your goal is to, you know, upgrade each position group, you know, through free agency in the draft. And if you can upgrade defensive line, linebacker, and DB in a three-day span and, and improve it with, with talent and depth, you know – And cheap talent, then, not to mention – Exactly, and they're set. They're they're set. They're they're a one man offense. They're ready to go. They got their quarterbacks. They're they're they've got their franchise star, Christian McCaffrey. Um, I think you know they're they're set. They're ready to go. Uh, they're going to improve that that elsewhere. They'll get undrafted talent. They'll get veteran free agents uh, like like Teddy Bridgewater. But I I just like the uh, the idea of uh, coming in with the draft strategy, and they absolutely their defense got better. There's yeah. no doubt about it. Like, even if only like, how many did they draft seven? Even if what if, if three of those guys turn into be a regular rotation player, they just gained three players for nearly nothing. And and all dark, that's going to be on the low end. Yeah, for sure. But no, I, yeah. like you said, they came in with a plan and they definitely executed it to a T. I have to I have to be I have to be honest though. I could I could take any team's draft picks and I could tell you why. 
they were amazing moves. And I can tell you why they were probably not going to work out. Well, so, that's that's the beauty of the I draft, love, I right? Love, I love spinning a draft in a, in a good <laughs> way, though. That's how I have to do. I have to do it because it, that's why the drafts are great. It's pure optimism. All right, so why don't you? It's excitement. Why don't you give your best ch- best shot at uh, spinning the Seahawks draft as a good one? Uh, it was a good one. Well, no, I'm not saying got, it wasn't, but yeah, I was just um, I was just going along with what you were saying. Yeah. Oh, okay. It's hard for me to spin it, spin it in a bad <laughs> way. Um, you know, we have an interesting first round. I like Jordan Brooks was a big first round kind of um, like, whoa, he came off the board early. There's guys ranked ahead of him, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I think he was ranked like rated close to like a borderline, like second, third round pick. Um, he's an outside linebacker from Texas Tech. But it's like we took James Carpenter, 25th overall. He's still starting the NFL today, seven-year starter in the NFL. He took Bruce Irvin at 15. No one had, you know, him coming off the board that early. And he, he turned into uh, a big-time contract guy earlier in his career. And then we all, we also took – he's kind of yet to turn out. Uh, well, we're unsure if he's to turn out because he's so young. But Rashad Penny was the 24th pick in the first round, and he wasn't supposed to be drafted that early. So we've had luck, like, taking our guys. And that's kind of like – when it comes to Seahawks drop, they kind of have just blind faith and John and Pete. So I get excited no matter who they pick, just because I know that they're so good uh, at drafting. Uh, we were able uh, to pick up, I think, what, one, two, three, eight players. Uh, we, you know, we drafted eight players. So we added a lot of depth at a lot of places. And I think almost all eight of our draft picks are going to make the team outside of maybe our seventh round draft pick probably won't make the team, but seven out of eight of those guys are going to make the team, which I think is, uh, you know, a good thing. And for the most part, I think that they're going to uh, improve the position groups. Yeah. So, all right. If you were to give the Seahawks a, a grade, what would it be? Probably a B plus only because of the, un, I don't know Jordan Brooks. Okay. You know, so the first round, the first round is, First of all, I think it's extremely overvalued. I think that good franchises are built from second to fifth round. Um, it's it's just kind of like in trade value and stuff. It's tremendously valuable, but I don't think just because you're a first rounder doesn't necessarily mean you're going to work out. So I think B plus only because we just I just don't know these guys. But I do like you know where you know the positions that we did draft drafted two edge guys, which I was thought was cool. People aren't people aren't stoked about drafting a tight end because we're deep in that group. But again, it's like Greg Olson's new. Don't know how he's going to work out. Will Disley gets hurt every year. Jacob Hollister's not really a guy you can lean on. Luke Wilson's you know kind of streaky at best. So it's like we were deep there, but we still drafted someone. Uh, but you know, I'm, I I got I got trust in John and Pete. I'm gonna yeah. give him a B plus for now. Could be could be A plus. Okay. All right, so for the Rams, uh, they ended up with nine picks overall, and their first pick in the second round, they didn't their their first round pick was used in the Jalen Ramsey trade, so that their first round pick was technically Jalen Ramsey, so I guess that's a win. Um, but their first actual pick was in the second round, pick fifty two, Cam Akers, running back out of Florida State. I didn't really understand the Cam Akers pick, especially when J.K. Dobbins from The Ohio State University got selected three picks later. I thought Dobbins was a superior running back. 
last year in college. And if you're taking a running back there, I would have rather taken Dobbins, but clearly the Rams see something in Acre, so hopefully he can make an impact in the run game in the time he sees out on the field. He's probably going to split time with uh, second-year player Daryl Henderson, so we'll see what that run game looks like. Overall, I kind of was disappointed in the Rams draft because I thought they were going to come in with a different strategy, but then ultimately I was, I guess I was satisfied with it because. So what, what grade would you give them? I'm giving them a B minus. See, that's the same grade I would give them only because their first pick was a little bit of a head scratcher. Well, and then, so their, their second pick. He could be a stud, man. He's a sleeper no, fantasy he's, player. He, I, and, I was, I've been watching a lot of tape on him now. So if, I, you, if you have, if you just go with the, if you want it, you know, it's it's, it's not easy. But trust in the trust in your kind of your scouting. If you get, if you see a guy that, like you said, thought was like a higher kind of prospect, and they take someone behind him, that's almost like a good thing because they're they're clearly saying. We know that this guy's ranked higher up the list, but we believe in this guy. Yeah. So, um, and it's like you guys need it. You guys need a running back. Yeah. No. Definitely, we need a running back. So it's he's definitely going to get some burn this year, and he he might even turn out to be the lead back because uh, I'm not exactly. I'm not too sure how high the Rams are on Daryl Henderson anymore. But that's why I think he's a sleeper fancy pick. Yeah, for sure. He, he could he he could be the lead back and. Running backs are, are there's a bunch of talented running backs out there. That's why they're not they'll get these big contracts and you can get them almost anywhere. So never know, might have got a good one. Yeah. Now their their next pick in the second round came uh at fifty seven, so only five picks later. And I haven't really seen too much of him, but I've I've heard good things about Van Jefferson from Florida. He's a receiver. And with Brandon Cooks getting traded, he'll look to make an impact between Bob Woods and Cooper Cup. Which will be a lot cheaper than Cooks by far. Oh, much cheaper. And then they drafted two defensive backs, which was good because we definitely need help in the secondary, uh, which was riddled with injury last year. And then we lost Nicole, uh, Nickel Roby Coleman. We're getting John Johnson. Dante Fowler. Uh, well, yeah, Dante Fowler more on the edge, but... Um, which they drafted an edge in uh, Terrell Lewis. Which, yeah. Which, to me, I feel like he was one of the best players that we got. Yeah, oh, definitely. So that was... I thought the the Rams were going to focus more on the offensive line and then the edge in the draft. And that's, that, that's what I thought were the Rams two biggest weaknesses last year. If you, can, if you have a bad offensive line and you can't protect the quarterback, it's, it's tough to generate an offense. And I'm surprised they only drafted one offensive lineman and they waited until the seventh round. So I'm not really sure what the plan is at offensive line this, this coming season for the Rams. And then, like I said, a big weakness was the edge. But drafting Terrell Lewis and Clay Johnston, they're going to look to to probably replace Dante Fowler and Corey Littleton, who left in free agency this offseason. But like I said, some of some of the guys on here are, like Tyler was saying, sleepers. And that's why I think I would give the Rams a B minus because I think they have a lot of faith in these guys. And all nine of these guys have a chance to make the roster given – the the Rams situation with cap cap space and need, yeah. Which but their yeah, need yeah. their need was their line though. 
Uh, but it appears the way they drafted, too, they, they, they drafted more defensive players, and they kind of just went for the replacements. They replaced, you know, kicker, they replaced an edge, they replaced a receiver, but they didn't kind of address the needs fully of what they needed, and that was their offensive line, Yeah, which I want to see how it's going to come out this year. Because, yeah, now you have your replacements, but you still have somewhat of a mediocre line. Yeah, it was definitely weird that they had, what, nine picks? Is that, is that what he says? Yeah, nine picks. It's pretty, it's pretty crazy to go nine picks, not take a lineman in the draft. Until, until the, the seventh draft. round. Uh, yeah, that's pretty crazy. But, uh, you know, hopefully they have a plan for all that. Uh, I hope and so. I also, I also believe quantity is quality when it comes to the draft. I think, you know, like people are hating on the Dolphins kind of like you're either praising them because they got all these picks or you're kind of hating on them. Like just because you got ten picks doesn't mean it's a good draft. I think it does. I mean, just getting that amount of football players – and creating that competition, it's like it's a numbers game. You got ten players, odds are one one of those guys is going to be a good football player. Yeah, definitely. So I mean, it'll it'll be interesting to see what what happens with the Rams this year. I I think the goal, obviously, the goal is every year when you're at zero and zero is the Super Bowl. But I think a realistic goal for the Rams this year is just to make the playoffs. Yeah, man, it's, it's a tough it's a tough division. Yeah, definitely, especially now with uh, Trent Williams up in San Francisco. And Arizona's getting better, too. And DeAndre Hopkins. Yeah, DeAndre Hopkins in Arizona, jeez. Yeah, it's it's looking like a tough division this year. Yeah, but all right, let's let's transition to some hoops because hopefully we might be getting it back soon. So uh, I'm going to kind of uh, explain this whole report uh, on NBA teams trying to open up some team facilities in markets that are relaxing their stay-at-home order, and then we'll kind of react to the the general information that I'm going to share with you guys. So, like I was saying, some states have begun to slowly pull back on their stay-at-home orders and are beginning to try to reopen the economy. The NBA has discussed allowing teams in areas where stay-at-home orders have been loosened to open their team facilities to their players to begin working out in individual stating uh, in individual settings excuse me from a statement the league had sent to reporters i'm going to read this quote quote the potential rule changes would allow teams to make their practice facilities available for use by the team's players for workouts or treatments on voluntary ba- on voluntary individual basis if the team's facility is in a city that is no longer subject to government restriction For any team that, due to a government restriction, is prohibited from making its facility available for use by the team's players, the league will work with the team to identify alternatives. The following restrictions would apply. No more than four players would be permitted in the facility at one time. No head or assistant coaches could participate. Group activities such as practices and scrimmages would not be allowed to take place. Players remain prohibited from using public health clubs, fitness centers, or gyms, end quote. Also, according to ESPN, a distance of 12 feet must be kept among individuals on the court and having only one staff member from the team supervising. According to Shams, who works for The Athletic and Stadium, his sources are telling him players also must wear a mask inside the facility except when doing physical activity. The staffers working with the players must wear gloves and franchises must designate one senior executive to the new position of, quote, facility hygiene officer. Hmm. 
The league is targeting May 8th as the date they will have a concrete proposition for teams, but it is not guaranteed that May 8th will be the date. It could be later than that, depending on developments and updates provided by the NBA from public health officials. And Adam Silver had previously said that May 1st is a pretty concrete date of when the NBA wanted to give an update on their plans to potentially resume the season because obviously in the collective bargaining agreement there is a point where they have to basically decide whether they're going to cancel the season or not and if they reach that point certain things take into effect from the collective bargaining agreement so we're going to get some concrete news with within the next week or so but Team executives were also on a conference call the other day with the league, and according to ESPN, some executives were asking if players from their teams in markets where there haven't been a rollback of restrictions, can their players fly to a market that has pulled back restrictions and use a team facility in that market? So, for example, could a player uh, from a team in New York, L.A., or Boston fly to Georgia to go work out at the Hawks facility in Atlanta because Georgia has begun to slowly pull back their stay-at-home restrictions. The NBA told team executives that players would not be allowed to do such things. They are only allowed to use the facilities of the team they are under contract by. Some teams are also worried about the competitive advantage of others getting a significant jump on training in the event of the season's resumption. And then the last paragraph of an article that Adrian Wojnarowski wrote basically summarizing uh, the news that broke yesterday. It, it reads like this, quote, the NBA's decision to reopen facilities based on the loosening of local government policies isn't considered reflective of a new timetable for a resumption of the play of play this season, sources said. Commissioner Adam Silver and owners still believe they need more time to gain a clearer picture on whether, whether, when, or how they could possibly resume the season. So I know that was probably a lot to to unpack, but after all of that, it doesn't look like we're any closer to basketball in Not my opinion. At all. And and the whole thing of players being on the court and they have to be twelve feet apart. Well, what it, the hell is that about? Because you're playing a contact sport. Well, you can only have four players in the gym at the, these workouts. At, so how are you supposed time. to run scrimmages in practice? Well. Most well, no, you can't run scrimmages. Exactly, it has to be. Yeah. it has to be individual work. And most of these practice facilities have four, or six hoops uh, in the gym. So, but that, you got to imagine. But you have to understand, like you're not going to get an actual workout out of that because yeah, you mo- are. The most you can do as a player to get back to a season, that's not going to necessarily help you all the way because you can lift weights. You can go in there, get up shots, and do yeah. individual stuff. But when it comes to game-like situations, that's absolutely not going to help. Well, that's that's obviously in the next step. This is just the, yeah. f- the initial But the whole 12 process. feet apart and limiting the players, like, it's crazy. Yeah, we're not getting any closer to sports coming back. What do you think, Tyler? Yeah, it, it, it's hard not to be skeptical, like Jake, Jake was saying. It's just, I just don't, I don't see how we can really believe that this season's going to come back. It is a good sign that we're making progress, but it's not really progress yet. We haven't, nothing's happened yet. It could not work out. I, I think you can't have some teams work out, not others. That's, I so think, the biggest could, thing. It, it could get messy. So it's like, it's not done yet. We can't count it as like progress quite yet. It's a plan to progress, um, which is good. I mean, it's better than nothing, but. 
Yeah, I, at least they, at least they at least they have a plan. Yeah, they have a plan. I'm still kind of I'm still kind of pessimistic that we see basketball this season. Well, I, after everything I just went through, they it, it clearly looks like the NBA is hell bent on finishing this season. Yeah, they really and, want to salvage it. And if they have to shorten next season, I think that's what they're willing to do. Mm-hmm. And all three of us have said we think it should be the opposite and we should cancel this season and make sure we don't shorten next season. But I think if you think about it in the NBA standpoint, though, they want to salvage it only because you tend to make the most money towards the end of the season, i.e. the playoffs, oh, if yeah. your team gets there. Yeah, the playoff revenue is really what the NBA yeah, wants. That's, that's what they bank on, and that's why they want to salvage it. But it's getting tougher and tougher. And places like California, so you have teams like the Kings, Warriors, Lakers, Clippers. Four teams yeah, here. four teams here. Unfortunate for them. But now all these stay-at-home regulations they're now ran by the local and state government. So now they're deciding when they're opening stuff up. The tough part is for a California, though, this sports sports coming back, that's in like stage three. That's like the last thing they want to open. Yeah, the governor in California basically laid out like a four-stage plan so of, that sucks of for reopening them. the state. And sports was way down on the list. So it's, it's going to be it's very not, Because tough. it's not essential in the sense where it's like you need people to get back to work. Yeah, they're athletes. This is their job. But it's like you'd rather get other companies up and running before you even have any kind of sports, even without live audiences. Yeah, man, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how it works. I hope they don't, I hope they don't mess up two seasons for it. But it's looking like they're they going could. to Tyler. I, I just I just think that um, something's going to happen. Something's going to derail this from from happening. I mean, for instance, if states start opening up and there's a huge spike in in the you know we've already the seen virus, it. Then well then then it could you know the numbers could start showing that it's not smart to reopen, and right. and individual. Individual workouts, too, is not necessarily like a game changer. That's almost just like something to chew on until it's like we need basketball players on the court. Yeah, because these players are doing like individual workouts. For the most part, the players that have big gyms and stuff at home, they're doing that already. It's like you you want to get back to like the training camp settings of of practice, not just putting up shots. No, and it's I, getting back into game yeah, shape. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You think you're going to get back into game shape just, you know, putting yeah, up a couple jumpers here and there? It's a step. It's not a big step. It's there's still a lot to to be had. So it's and still I, I also don't like starting the playoffs. It's like if you're in the playoff hunt, you're in nine or ten seed, you'd be absolutely furious. And it's just it's not fair. So the season wasn't over. Um, I, I I just I think something's gonna happen to where it's not gonna work out. But maybe that's just kind of a wish more than me actually think that's gonna happen. Yeah, I think a lot of this is wishful thinking on a lot of people's parts. No, and you could be right for sure. Yeah, so I I don't know. I just I I wanted to talk about it because I at first I I was like, oh, this is a, a step closer to getting sports and and basketball back. But the the more and more that I I look at it and, and think about it and talk it out with you guys and all the hoops that you have to jump through just to get players back into practice facilities. It, it just seems like so much, which they've mentioned too, that when they do start to restart things, you know, allowing players to work out and stuff, they would give the league a month to get back, which 
it, it's kind of it's kind of weird because if you're in Florida, you can work out at some point before you can in California. So it's like, does that month apply at the same time? Right. And teams and teams brought that up on that conference call, and they were concerned about a competitive advantage that teams might have over each other if they are in a state that reopens earlier than the other. Yeah, because if you're like the Lakers or Clippers, and you're still held at being held at home, and you're looking over there in Florida, and you see the Hawks. And they're uh, practicing. The Hawks don't play. Oh, in sorry, sorry, Atlanta. Sorry. Well, I was thinking about the Magic too. Those are pl- those are teams that are not in the playoffs. Like if the playoffs were to start, they're not in the playoffs, and they're already getting the advantage to work out and stuff. But like well, to, Miami Heat are in the playoffs. Well, yeah. See, that would be fair, but to the other teams, the other teams that are like at the bottom of the East or the bottom of the West, you have them working out ahead of schedule. Um, on top of the teams that are, they're probably the number one and two seeds of their respective conference, and they're still at home. Yeah, it's a it's a tough scenario. It's a crazy time we live in. <laughs> Literally, we I I know we say it every week, but we're really living in history, boys. Yeah, it's a uh, pretty crazy. Yeah, but speaking of history, why don't we uh, recap some history with uh, episodes three and four of the Last Dance? You ready? Oh yeah! Oh hell yeah! This is a, honestly week by week. This gets better and better. It really does. So. I got the average viewership again for ESPN and ESPN2. Average viewership for episode three was 6.14 million people. Episode four had 5.66 million people. And then for a total between episodes one through four, uh, the average viewership has been 5.98 million people. So almost 6 million people have seen the first four episodes of The Last Dance on either ESPN and ESPN2. Episodes three and so four. Probably double, so probably double that when you put it into account illegal streaming. Yeah, illegal streaming and <laughs> the leak uh, that that happened. Oh, yeah, the leak. Yep. Still looking for that link. I haven't found it yet. It, why? I, I, I didn't even look for it. I think I could probably find it for you, but I, would, I wouldn't even look for it. Yeah, no, I, I'm kind of half looking. I, I honestly don't want to see it, but. Just having yeah, that power I mean, of having that link, I, th- I think would be kind of cool. Oh, to see the next episode? Well, just having the whole thing. Oh, yeah. But see, but that's how they build up the, sus- like the suspense in the yeah, show. Yeah, I know, I know. It's like last week we were itching for this week's episode about Rodman because we were all interested on what he was going to say. And then we finally got it, and then now we got a preview for next week, and we're like, oh, crap, I wish it was Sunday already. Yeah, for sure. So like you were saying, Jacob, episodes three and four – were mainly about Dennis Rodman, Phil Jackson, and then the rivalry between the the Bulls and the Detroit Bad Boys Pistons. And um, I basically kind of have a list again of uh, some moments that kind of stuck out to me that we can kind of go through. So obviously first on the list was Rodman's 48-plus-hour vacation excursion, and MJ had to drag him out of bed while Carmen Electra was hiding naked behind a couch to get Rodman to practice in the middle of the season. So when Scottie Pippen returned from basically his injury slash holdout slash uh, trade request, Rodman went to, to Michael and was like, look, dude, I need a vacation. And so basically Michael and Dennis went to, well, Dennis went to Phil and said he needed a vacation and Phil went to Michael and Phil was like, Dennis needs a vacation. Yeah, Michael, do, we, do we give it to him? Well, Michael was like, wait, Dennis needs a vacation? No, I need a fucking vacation. But basically, 
Phil and Michael agreed that they would let Dennis go. And Michael even said, though, if he if you let him go, you're not going to see him. And he took longer than those 48 hours. Well, because Dennis promised the 48 hours, and he was gone way past that. Well, no, Dennis didn't promise it. Oh, he's, well, yeah. He was given the 48 hours. Yeah, he was taking Jackson whatever said, he was given. Here's your, here's your two days. Go to Vegas, come back. But he didn't come back after those two days. Yeah, that was such a such a cool story to hear. Uh, you know, because, like, I was just a little too young. I knew he dated all those people, but I didn't know about this actual Vegas trip. I don't know if the public knew about it either. If no, was, I don't think like, the public did know about it. You know, if, they, if, everyone, if Carbon Electra didn't realize that he was basically missing. How did she not realize that though? It's like if she you see, doesn't, she's if, not paying attention. Well, yeah, but it's like if you yeah, see the true. Bulls playing yeah, on yeah. TV in Vegas, I mean, you're like, shouldn't you be there? I don't think he missed any games. Uh, I think he missed one game and like some practices, right? But then, the, yeah. but like his first game back, he had like 14 rebounds in the game, so it was like he was fine. Yeah, no, of course, and that's that's that is for sure. My my household was a huge Dennis Rodman fan, and, and my household was also a very uh, you know big time Phil Jackson fan. I'm a huge Phil Jackson guy. He's my favorite you know, coach. Read his, book, read, read his books, uh, loved his philosophy on coaching and his style. That um, yeah, Phil's the man. Those were great episodes. Yeah. All right. The next thing I got on the list is for me one thing that I loved in the third episode was the montage of Dennis Rodman explaining how he practiced rebounding by having his friend shoot from, like, all areas of the court, and he would just basically chase boards. And he said he knew exactly where players like MJ, Magic, and Larry Bird's shots would fall off the rim if it was a miss based on where they were on the court, and he would basically position himself accordingly. And that's how he won seven straight rebounding titles. Which it's funny because yeah, when you when you saw him come into the league, it was just pure raw athleticism with Detroit. But he, like you say, he perfected the art of rebounding. Yeah, like that's no taking doubt. it to an extreme level. He's the he's the best rebounder ever. It's not even close. Not Chamberlain, not Bill Russell, not Malone. Not, none of those guys are a better rebounder. But my dad actually used to talk to me about that story all the time. So that it's cool you say that because that montage is really cool because. Yeah, the My way he was always talk about how Rodman would be in the gym just rebounding for guys shooting just so he could watch how. The, and growing up, I, you know, I'm not a super tall person, but I rebounded well, and it a lot. A lot of it had to do with like positioning your body where the ball is going to go and knowing where it's coming off the rim. And the, it was really cool to see Rodman kind of see how his body works and and how he he dominates. You know, he was his rebound numbers were uh, unreal. I mean, way better than any anything anybody's doing today. Yeah, oh, yeah. He, he wasn't that tall either. I think he was six seven, six eight, roughly yeah. around that. But yeah. like, you would think that yeah. he would he wouldn't get those rebounds. But it was just all about his positioning. Yeah, just in the in the effort, montage. Effort. Oh yeah, for sure, it's effort. The and tipping then, it to himself multiple times. Yeah, and then in the in the montage, the way he was just sitting in his chair, but the way he was moving his body and showing how he would grab rebounds. It was. I thought it was just really fascinating to watch. Yep, he's the the best ever at it. All right, the next thing he was averaging. He was averaging like seventeen boards a game. Oh yeah, easily and like zero yeah, points, and was like, happy with the and zero get, points. And getting hammered the night before. Oh yeah. Now the next thing I got 
I love, and I don't know how they did it, but how the production team found video of Phil Jackson coaching in Puerto Rico, I thought that was amazing. Hmm. I don't know. It, I wouldn't I, even think they would have something like that. Yeah, I just, I just thought it was really cool that they were able to find footage of him in Puerto Rico in his early days as a coach. I th- I'm pretty sure it was his first coaching job. Even even the footage of him yeah, right playing for the, the Knicks right is pretty cool. Knicks. Yeah, no, and... Yeah, all the footage of him with the Knicks, and he went to three NBA championships as a player. He won two of them. He has eleven titles as a as a coach, so he's got thirteen NBA titles as a player and a coach. It's crazy. <laughs> he's lived a crazy life, and obviously the acid trip story was hilarious that uh, Phil he's, shared. He's, you know, there's like ten. You know, if you, I would say like the seventy one or seventy two mix, whatever. You know. I forget whatever the Willis Reed championship is, uh, you know, they, people put that as like one of the top 10, 15 teams ever. Oh yeah. So it's like, if you can't, if you count Phil's, you know, playing on that team, coaching Kobe and Shaq and, and, and coaching Michael and Pippen, you know, he's part of like three of the top 10 arguably teams ever. Oh yeah, no doubt. And then, I mean, really, and it's the next thing I have on my list, how he got his start. Jerry Krause originally wanted him for the coach before Doug Collins. I, I forget his name, but then he he showed up to the interview not dressed well. He didn't interview well, and the, the coach didn't hire him. And then Jerry brought him back when Doug Collins was the coach, and Jerry kind of coached him up, told him how to dress, told him what to do in the interview. But then Tex Winter, the, the creator of the triangle offense, was also on the coaching staff, and Doug Collins and Tex Winter's relationship kind of soured ultimately because their their offensive and their offensive coaching philosophies differed and Phil got attached to Tex Winter after Doug and Tex got into a verbal altercation and Doug banned Tex Winter from the bench and that's really what ultimately led to Phil learning and adopting the triangle offense and then he took over as head coach after Doug Collins and Michael wasn't happy about it because no. Doug's offense put the ball in MJ's hands and the triangle took the ball out of MJ's hands. But ultimately, the triangle is what led to Michael learning to trust his teammates more and ultimately what put the Bulls over the top in to win their first championship in 91. Which I think from Michael's perspective, it's like, yeah, you had Collins who was giving you the extra opportunity. And it's like you hear from Collins. He says that Michael was, you know, defensive player of of, uh, of the year. You know, he was MVP. You know, he was the all-star MVP. Like, yeah, he was the top dog, but your team wasn't getting anywhere. Like, it was a team. It was a collective unit, and they weren't advancing in the playoffs, and they were still bad. And Michael talks about how he was all the time chasing Magic and Larry Larry for so long until he got that first ring in 91 when he beat Magic and obviously they showed it but that 91 Lakers team was a shell of the Lakers well, yeah, of who he, they really were they were missing James Worthy and Byron Scott in that series but well that was that was the post Kareem right exactly Lakers. it was the yeah Vladi Divac was the starting center for for the Lakers at the uh, time uh, and, and that that was the first season without without Kareem right but Ultimately, ah, damn, I lost my train of thought. I think I think Jordan knew that this was 
after a couple months, you know, maybe the first year, I think he knew the system was going to work. Uh, when I went to uh, Kobe camp when I was in high school, they taught us a piece of the of the triangle because there's no way in hell you could learn it in like right. five, six days. It's, right. it's impossible. And even that piece was kind of difficult for some people to learn because it's all based on players' reactions, where the ball gets dumped. If it's in the high post, then there's a certain cut that's take, that takes place, you know, and so – even Carl Malone, I mean, Phil, for perfect example, he had a hard time learning it when he was with the Lakers. But I think the more Jordan understood it, he knew that this was going to help the Bulls advance. Right. Phil said off of one pass in the triangle offense, there are 33 different yeah. options. Trust me, I had a hard do. time learning that. Yeah. But no, I remember what I was going to say. Going back to Michael chasing Magic Johnson and Larry Bird, I found it so honestly eerie because I'm I'm looking at this documentary as a Kobe fan trying to see what Kobe saw in Michael and and that greatness. Michael was chasing magic and Larry the same way Kobe was chasing Michael. And it's really remarkable to see that. Yeah. It's always passing of the torch. Always. Every era has that. Yeah. No, I mean, Kobe for sure was just trying to be Jordan. uh, And the championship is kind of part of that. So the first one is obviously going to be emotional. Because you've kind of finally like solidified yourself and can't really take anything away from it. Yeah. All right. Another thing I had was uh, one thing I found really interesting was Phil bringing up the the Native American bond that he had with Dennis Rodman and Phil growing up in Montana near an Indian reservation and growing up around that type of culture and then Rodman going to college in Oklahoma and him being surrounded by Native American culture and then bonding over that in their initial meeting when uh, Jerry was Jerry Krause, the GM of the, the bulls at the time wanted to convince Phil to, to bring Dennis Rodman to the bulls because he thought he was a missing piece. And ultimately them bonding over the native American culture is what formed a great relationship that took Rodman's career to the next level. Well, that's, that's why Phil Jackson's the who he is today. You know, that's why he's the Zen master. Uh, you know, he understood that he was coaching people, and he's way more Dennis Rodman than he is like Michael Jordan, Scotty Perry. He can be oh, for sure. He's, mm-hmm. he, he's a rebel. He's a rebel, just like Dennis is, and he understood that like you need to give Dennis, you need to give him some space. You need to understand as a person to get the most out of him. You can't like force something out of somebody uh, like willingly and it, and it just kind of happen for you. It's all in if Dennis wants to happen. If you, if you push him, he's going to shut down. If you give him some rope, you might be able to, you know, get some production out of him. And that's why Phil was so good at managing big time talent, why he could coach Kobe and Shaq. And because everything was bigger than the individual, that was what the triangle, you know, kind of represented is it's an, it's an individual team execution style of play uh and and uh and the other the zen master part i think was managing people managing it's the psychology aspect of coaching you know keeping your team focused uh you know let them blowing off steam it's all like a balancing game and he was the best at it definitely yeah you just know, coming up with the theme every year you know that just gives you it's just it's hard to just do the same thing every single year you know, Ray Lewis, every single offseason would do a different, like a different sort of training, 
Like one year it was boxing, one year it was cycling, one year it was swimming. He would change it because it's it's just it's easier, it's more entertaining. And I think that that's you know that's another thing Phil did was every year there was a theme and it just gets players to buy in and you can get the most out of your guys. That's kind of like what the trick is: is how do I get the most out of my team? And definitely, he was the best at that. Yeah, just the way he handled the personalities, like Tyler's saying, is it was great because you dealt with people in the 90s you dealt with Jordan Broadman and uh, and Pippen and just the egos and just how they carried themselves on the court but then you move over to the 2000s era the way he handles Shaq and Kobe he handled it like no other and the team bonding was great because like I said before during the 90s fans didn't really see all this BS that was going on the team drama you just saw the championships and I think a huge part of that is Jackson's way of collectively getting everybody together and saying this is our last run at this let's get focused and let's let's get it done yeah definitely well it's it. he, his message was this is it whether you get focused or not yeah that this, this is message. over it's our it's last like, run it doesn't it doesn't matter if you guys want to be focused or not it doesn't this is it this is all we got so let so let's do it yeah exactly let's do it the right you know let's do it the right way um yeah he's he's just the master at that kind of stuff just managing human beings and, and managing the psychology of it all. And, and he was a player, too, so he's so good in the locker room. You know, he's not this rah-rah guy that's trying to give you all this crap. He's got simple, clear message. He's not going to yell at you, and then he's, like, moving on. You know, he's not the play- he knows he's not the player anymore. So I think that that's another, you know, way you can connect with the players. Yeah. I, I, lo- I love Phil Jackson, man. I could talk good about Phil Jackson all night. Oh, yeah. No, I mean, listen, for me, my two favorite coaches are Phil Jackson and John Wooden. So it's like, it's, it's, it's. Yeah, Phil, 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 is, Phil is different um, in the sense that he's not like, he's not like revolutionary. He's just like dominant. He yeah. He, he like, he didn't bring some sort of, like the Zen Master thing is not like what every single coach does now. That's not like the blueprint to win. He didn't invent. He didn't invent the triangle offense. So he's not a guy that like brought something to the table new. He would just like dominated the the managing of people. It, you know, the, the the players and the talent was already in place. He didn't he didn't invent some offense. He didn't invent some defense. He didn't invent some style of play. He wasn't like you know Popovich. He didn't invent like a a new type of like minute rotation. Uh, you know, stuff like that. He just dominated just every single game they dominated. And it's because, you know, of how he approached coaching, coaching each player individually. Yeah. All right. Next thing on the list I had was uh, MJ saying Scott Burrell was Rodman Jr. And Burrell was like basically trying to get Mike to stop saying that stuff on camera and get the cameras to cut (laughs) and, uh, Burrell was like, my parents are going to watch this. And MJ just looks straight at the camera and goes, mom and dad, your son's an alcoholic. I just thought it was yeah. funny. Yeah. Cause it showed up on, on video cool, 25, 30 years <laughs> later. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Scott Burrell said he had to come out and warn him about that before it was released. Oh, that's funny. Well, I heard that he, he looks pretty good, uh, the rest of the way though. So he, he gets some redeeming, uh, moments later, I guess. All right, next thing I had on the list was Brendan Malone. Mike Malone, coach of the Denver Nuggets, uh, father. He was an assistant coach for the Detroit Pistons during the Bad Boys era. And 
he let the cat out of the bag. He explained word for word what the Jordan rules were for the Pistons, and I just I thought that was really cool. Yeah, uh, yeah, I think people people had known that. Though. I think people had. I, mean, Jordan, I think people knew I mean, the that Jordan, Jordan rules existed. I just don't think people got like the necessary, like the the, the legitimate like breakdown. Like yeah, this is what we're what doing. We're forcing him left. We're not letting him go. And it was pretty baseline. simple too, because like the end result is if he passed one of the uh, the one-on-one defenders, they just hit him. Yeah, Rick Mahorn was there. Bill Ambeer was there. They basically just said, don't let him get in the air because once he gets in the air, that's how he's going to beat us. Because yeah. they knew he was otherworldly. Because that team, if you really look at it, the Pistons during that era, they weren't super athletic. They weren't uh, greatly skilled. Isaiah Thomas was their best player, and by far— and Joe team, Dumars was a solid yeah, defensive yeah, backcourt player, he was, a, though. he was a solid D guy and a, a good uh, mid-range shooter as well. But that team overall wasn't very great. They just played a very rugged style of basketball. And that's how they beat teams. They physically beat you down. And they were they were the definition of a team. They were ride or die. They would go to war with each other. Well, not with each other, yeah. but for each other. Well, they were, I think, I think it was uh, Sally that um, in this in this documentary he says that brick mahorm taught him how to throw elbows oh, like yeah. yeah he's like all right when this guy gets he's like you don't want to just um give a fake foul hit the guy yeah no let him know about yeah, it it's there, no freebies here yeah and well, then back in the day back in the day there were no you weren't getting kicked out of the game for it now you get kicked out of the game for it and probably before a suspension it a <laughs> before it was just a foul so his logic was if they're gonna call a foul make it a good one don't make it you yeah know, don't waste it half ass yeah, don't mm-hmm. waste it. And make sure they don't score and make it an N one. Yeah. So all right, uh two more things on the list and probably obviously one of the more controversial moments was MJ watching and not believing Isaiah at all when Isaiah explains the whole no handshake incident. So I kinda wanted to get your guys' thoughts on that. Uh, but first, real quick, uh, since it goes along with it, uh, the last thing I had was Horace Grant saying the Pistons walked off the court like quote straight up bitches. I think I think with Jordan, yeah, I mean, funny. I would I would have Jordan's same perspective too. I wouldn't believe Isaiah Thomas because, like he said too, you're only changing it because you've had time to think about it and the public backlash that and he's gotten ex- since. Exactly. Now you have people watching it. Now during that era, he claims that that's what they did. No, you have other teams that actually shook your hand. Yeah, Jordan too. Jordan pointed out all the examples, and Jordan said he carries the hate for those Pistons guys still to this day. Yeah, so I don't believe Isaiah Thomas. I like him as a player. Like, he was a great individual player. But as far as the way he carried himself on the court, like, dude, just shake their hands. Like, it's, they it's, beat you fair and square. That, it's sad that Isaiah still holds on to it. I think it's a bad look. But, I mean, he has every right to be sour. He for sure you know, missed out on the dream team, but it was a lapse in judgment. You know, I don't think it was anything that was like the sell. I think he truly believed the Celtics did to him. You know, the, the, he got beat up by the Celtics for years, finally beat him and they left early during the game. But then he grabs Kevin McHale. Yeah. But he goes and grabs him. Kevin McHale's walking his ass off the court. Yeah. 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 So it's like, it was a lapse in judgment. Wasn't the right way to go. It, but he may have justified it, but he paid the ultimate price for that lapse in judgment. Oh, for he sure. Being basically, you know, blackballed from Michael's circle, including the Olympic team, which was like the big deal behind it all is Isaiah should have been on the Olympic team 
the dream team, and he wasn't purely because Michael didn't want to play with them because of because of this incident. And Michael Michael got beat up by Michael still hates them. I think that it's like typically you would forgive somebody. I mean, you cut him off the dream team, but I think he hates him because they beat him up for. For for years, they they whooped his ass. He, it's so ultimately like what led three, him to start weight training. Three straight times and they so eliminated like, him in the playoffs. So it's like, so it's like yeah, he he finally beat them, but that doesn't mean oh I beat them now they're okay. Like it's it's not that big of a deal. Like he hates them because they whooped his ass. He hates them because they walked off the court, and he's held that grudge forever. It's 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 funny. I think it's funny that he's held the grudge forever, and I think it's sad that Isaiah still hasn't gotten over it. Yeah. You know what my hope is, though? Well, he, was left, he was left off the dream team. Pretty crazy. Yeah. No, but my hope, I know um, NBA on TNT, they, they did this with Kobe and Shaq, and they actually got them to sit down, and they, they squashed it all. And I remember watching that no, conversation. Bro, that oh, no. You have a I hope, different hey, situation, my friend. Wishful thinking. I hope somehow, some some way that one day we get – Michael Jordan uh, sitting across from Isaiah be, Thomas. One of them got to be dying to do that. Hey, if that's what it takes, man, I just hope that one day it happens. See, the whole Kobe and it Shaq is it different. Need to. Who cares? They can let them hate each other. <laughs> yeah, okay. they, they both, both have their titles. They're both great. Yeah. They're both great. I don't know. It doesn't matter. But I don't know. Like, like Tyler was saying, though, I'm pretty sure this Sunday we get some more of Isaiah and MJ's rivalry with the Dream Team. And also ESPN posted a, a picture of Michael and Kobe at the 98 All-Star game. So we might be getting some Kobe in episodes five or six. So I'm well, definitely, yeah, I'm definitely think, looking forward to Sunday. Definitely gonna get, I think it's way more likely we get Kobe because I think you've got the setup of like the main characters. So the first four episodes, we know who we're talking about. And now I think, you know, you've kind of set up the plot to really dive into this one single season. And Kobe was around. You know that was that was Kobe's kind of breakout year, so I definitely think we'll see some Kobe, Kobe in this next couple episodes. Yeah, and I think based on the the chronology, they do have to lead up to the '98 season. So I think we are going to get MJ and Isaiah's rivalry, and him getting or Isaiah getting left off the Dream Team in that whole scenario and we'll probably get to see some of the Dream Team members get interviewed. We we've seen a couple already. We saw Larry Bird. We've seen Magic Johnson. Uh, we've seen a couple other guys, so yeah, I gotta assume we see guys like Pat Ewing. Oh, we've seen oh, Pat Ewing. Yeah, we've seen Pat Ewing too. I forgot about him. If, uh, if yeah, Isaiah, we'll probably see Barkley. If Isaiah would have made the, the dream team, who would you replace him with? Leitner. Uh, okay, but besides Leitner, let's just say he he no, makes it well, by some chance. I think I think it would have I think it would have been uh, Clyde Drexler. What what where what how they Clyde or Stockton probably yeah because you had three they point had, guards they essentially had, no they had they had well they only had they only had two point guards they had Stockton and Magic yeah and typically a, an Olympic team will have at least oh three, they had three but, guards but uh, it's like the dream team was built they picked their ten guys and I would say the tenth guy was Chris Mullen but they had their ten guys so they had five you know five they had two five bed lineups. And then they they left one slot for the guy who had the best season that year. And it was Clyde. either going to be, oh yeah, Clyde. And then it, it was Shaq. It was going to be Shaq. And then like the other one was like the best college prospect. And that, and that was, was Shaq or Leitner. Yeah. So I believe that if if Isaiah would have been picked, he probably would have been in that ten, and then it probably would have been between like 
Mullen and Drexler, and then, you know, like, I, I wish they would have went Shaq over later, obviously, but I think it would have been between Mullen and Drexler uh, getting Isaiah's spot. Yeah, that makes sense when you break it down like that. Especially because, like, Magic could play some big. So it's like, Especially in know, international like, basketball, too. Yeah, I, I just think uh, that's, to me, in my eyes, the real dream team was Isaiah and Shaq, not not Drexler and uh, Leitner. Yeah. But, all right, that uh, that's it for the recap of The Last Dance. Obviously, episodes five and six are this Sunday. I believe that's May 3rd. Yeah, May 3rd. Okay. So, yeah, Sunday, May 3rd, episodes five and six. I can't wait. Yeah, nobody text me. Nobody call me. I've, after six literally i've gone off social media because i'm working and oh that's right yeah you can't look at I anything don't, i don't get home until maybe like 11 yeah, 30 I've, I've been watching monday mornings well i've been watching sunday nights when i get home and then i re-watch again on monday morning so i've i've been i've seen every episode twice already it's weird i don't watch yeah, them live i just watch them like after the first episode comes out i'll go back and watch that i don't for some reason i don't want to miss anything so i just rather watch it in in its entirety Oh, yeah, no, I'm watching in in its entirety, too. Yeah, because I don't want to, like, get in halfway and be like, oh, crap, I got to go watch, you know, the the first 30 minutes of it. Yeah. So, I'm watching the legal stream uh-oh. the next morning. Uh-oh. Don't don't say yeah. that out loud. The good stuff. <laughs> but, all right, let's 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 wrap this episode up with some Twitter hypotheticals that I, I found, and I'm keeping my running list. So I got five more for you guys. The first one comes from us. Uh, comes from us from at Content NBA three verse three. Who do you got winning? Team one: Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Hakeem Olajuwon. Team two: LeBron James, Chris Paul, Shaquille O'Neal. Who you got winning? God. <laughs> Shaq's too tough, man. I gotta go with Shaq and Braun. Interesting. Even, okay. Even though Chris Paul's the weak link in all of this. Yeah, because he's I under he's think. undersized against Magic. Very much so. Well, no, he. What was it, Magic and Jordan? Yeah. So Chris Paul would probably guard Jordan, and LeBron would guard Magic. Yeah. yeah which so is still like, unfair. <laughs> so I think you got the advantage with Shaq and Braun over Magic and Lajuan. Okay. That's that, that's I'm going with Shaq. Shaq's too Shaq's just too tough. Jacob, who are you going with? I want to choose Elijah Wan and Jordan's team, but Shaq's just so dominant. But I, then I also remember that Elijah Wan schooled him. Yeah. Yeah, he did. Yeah. So, but, I, I, but Shaq was also young. He he was younger. Yeah, he had a third year player versus a ten year vet. An all time great. Uh, like, yeah, you have but, but great footwork uh, I, on a yeah, seven footer. No, Hakeem definitely gave Shaq problems, but that's I still think Shaq ended up being the better player. Yeah, I, I gotta go team two. Yeah, ultimately only because Shaq's more dominant. That's the only reason why I would go with this. Tough to pick against Magic and Michael. Uh, very tough, very tough. All right, second one I got for you comes from at Ali underscore Bipornia. If you could go back and change one thing, what would it be? And I have two options for you guys that I will give you. Oh, these are great. The Lakers win the championship in 2004, but 
Shaq still leaves and wins two titles in Miami? Or would you go back and change Kobe tearing his Achilles and make sure it doesn't happen? So would you change the Lakers? Well, I mean, I'm a, I'm a Kobe fan over over a Shaq fan, but obviously, like you get the Kobe gets the team success with getting that would mean Kobe, but that would mean Kobe gets his sixth ring technically. Wait, if his wait, were, to, were to play out the same, so to, and so see, I don't know if he wins his sixth ring though if he doesn't tear no, his Shaq Achilles. Would, Shaq would get five. Well, you said he'd win two with Miami and you get a fourth with LA. Oh, sorry. He he only wins to the one ring in Miami. Sorry. Oh, okay. Oh, I got you. Sorry, I, I misread uh, it. Yeah, I mean, I probably like. The, so the Kobe would end up with like, six still. That, that was that was Kobe, man. At at the very you know year seventeen or whatever. Um, but I'd still I'd still reverse Kobe's injury over giving giving them the chip in 04. Yeah, a hundred percent. Just to just to get like. That that loss, getting swept against Dallas, was just like so brutal. And then like getting hurt right before the playoffs the next year wasn't that the timeline? Yeah. Well, no, they made Didn't it they? to the no, they made it to the playoffs in 2012, and I think they played the Thunder with our test. No, but the year Kobe yeah, tore his Achilles, the year Co- yeah, the year Kobe tore his Achilles. He like willed them into the playoffs, but then didn't get to play in the playoffs because yeah, of the Achilles. Yeah, it, was, it was Nash Dwight and Howard. Played. Yeah, it was the Dwight year, yeah, that, and they got swept yeah, by the Spurs. Yeah, yeah, but the year before that, um, did they, didn't did they lose to the Thunder or was it yeah the they, lo- they they lost uh, in 2012? They lost to the Thunder. They got the there with they, their test. The year they were going for the three peat, they lost to the Mavericks, and that was the year Bynum elbowed JJ Barea. That was the worst. That one was. That was tough. That loss. Yeah, because they were going. They were. They were going Pager for a three goes off When Peja went off and and just Peja at like sixty five years old, just oh god. I'm like less horrible. mad at that loss only because the Mavs went on to win it. Yeah, we ultimately ended up losing to the champions, but. Uh, well, uh, yeah, but for me, for this one, it's I gotta I gotta not have Kobe tear his Achilles just because. I want that playoff run. I want that playoff run one and two. He, if he doesn't tear his Achilles, his career is completely different, and he he maybe ends up becoming the all time leading scorer in NBA history. Yeah, for sure. He, I think he would have been able to play. Uh, he obviously played till you know season twenty. You know, but it wasn't a full twenty. After, but they were but they were shitty years. It was it was stuck to watch him. You know, kind of be a shell of himself and struggle with injuries and. Uh, those last three seasons, I think, would have been saved if his Achilles didn't get ruptured. No so. doubt, no doubt in my mind about Definitely. it. I, I'm, sa- I'm saving his Achilles over the the 2004 championship. I don't know. To, to me, I'd rather have him win that that title won. only because of how stacked that Pistons team was. To me, yeah. to me, that's why I would have him win that. Okay, and you salvage somewhat of the relationship team, of so. of Shaq and and, uh, and Kobe. Yeah. I was I was stoked the Pistons won that title. So I don't think I'll ever be able to watch that game five ever again. Ironically, I, I have that shirt of their. Uh, you have you seen me wear it? Yeah, I've seen yeah. you wear it. The the uh, champion that, shirt. That, yeah, I have that shirt. It's only I, to remember. I loved Rasheed Wallace and Ben Wallace at that point in time. So I was pumped that they won. I, you know that was still the Sonics were around. Yeah. All right. The third one I got comes from us from at Sports Center. 
Who has the better sports movies, Adam Sandler or Will Ferrell? And I'll give you guys the examples oh, that no. they. <laughs> I'll give you guys the examples that they gave. So for Adam Sandler, they had Happy Gilmore, The Longest Yard, Waterboy, and Uncut Gems because I guess Kevin Garnett was in it. Yeah, so they're that, calling it a sports movie because yeah. Adam Sandler was a gambling I don't know, I don't jeweler. I, would, I don't know if I would count that one, but sure. Okay. Uh, for Will Ferrell, they had Semi-Pro, Talladega Nights, The Ballad of Ricky Bobby, Kicking and Screaming, and Blades of Glory. I'm going with Will Ferrell on this one. I'm sorry. No, I gotta go. I'm going with Sandler, man. Yeah. I mean, I love all of Sandler's movies, but... Semi Pro is by far my favorite movie out of those. Yeah, there's just no, there's no beating either one of those lists. <laughs> I, Uncut, Uncut Jeff's definitely is not on the list, but those other three, that's like that's a solid wash. I can't pick one or the other. <laughs> not one. I can't. I can't. I can't. They're they're both too good. Okay. I mean, the, I love I love all, all seven of those movies. Yeah. If right. you're not counting Uncut Gems. <laughs> All right, number four from at CBS Sports. If you could travel back in time to watch one superstar athlete, no matter the sport, in their prime, who would it be? Oh, man. This is so tough. I saw this question, and, and I thought, thought about it. There's so many, different, so many different ways you could go about it. You know, like, I think that ultimately I would end up just wanting to see, like, a basketball game in the 80s. Just that's so a good, I could that's a good of, choice. Just, just so I could finally see, you know, like, like I can finally see what everybody's talking about and have a, have like a kind of like a, a something to compare it to. Mm. Uh, there's also like, you know, going. I think I would stick with basketball, but it's like going back. Do I want to see like? Could I see Will Chamberlain? That's my choice. Game? That's my choice. Is going yeah. back to see Will. That, but but the other the other one for me that's not basketball, I think the one thing that would be crazy to see is Muhammad Ali, man. That'd be awesome. Yeah, you know it would just be it would be crazy to see him in his prime. So uh, Muhammad Ali would be my non-basketball player, but one hundred percent I would pick basketball if it was a real thing. You know. Yeah, for so sure. It would be it would it would be between like like if I could see like in the nineteen seventies. Or, you know, if I could see, like, young Kareem play, like, prime Will, you know, that would be that would be sick. Or if I could see, you know, uh, if I could see Jordan play the, the Showtime Lakers in the 80s, those would be, like, what I would go with. I think for me, ultimately, I would probably go with Jordan only because I've seen highlights of it, but I would want to see it live. Like, as crazy as the highlights look, like, this is something you have to see live. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's I'm I'm going Will Chamberlain, and I'm going straight to that hundred point game, and seeing how he got that hundred points. Also, <laughs> yeah, there's also like you know, Murderers Row. Yeah, that's like a good the one. 27, the twenty seven Yankees. Yep, would be you know like that would probably be the. I, try to think, I was trying to, I was trying to think of just you know the things that are way back. They like you can't even see highlights of. Yeah, go see Babe Ruth or Ty Cobb or Cy Young or yeah. any one of those. Jackie Robinson even. Yeah, Jack, yeah. See, like seeing Jackie Robinson, that would be crazy. See, see Muhammad Ali, that'd be you know nuts. I probably would stay away from like the track and stuff. Yeah. All right, the last one I got for you. It comes from Matt Barnes and Stephen Jackson's podcast. All the smoke comes from their Instagram yeah. account. 
one of my favorite podcasts. Oh, definitely. Your personal all-time starting five, all-time six-man, and a current bench. So I'll, I'll lay out the parameters. You get five all-time players for your starters. You get one player from whatever era you want as your sixth man. And you get four current players for your bench. Current players? Yeah, four current players. So, oh, hell, hell yeah. I'm gonna, I already know this. <laughs> I think about this shit all the time. Okay, so Tyler, give me your starters, your all-time starters first. Your personal all-time starters. All right, my, my personal all-time it goes Iverson, Kobe at the guards, and then I got Ron Artest, Rodman, and Rashid as my as my front line. Okay. I've got I've got Jamal Crawford, aka the two oh sixth man. Okay. As a, gotta be I mean Jamal Crawford's gotta be my, my all time sixth man, right? Yeah, I love and that. Then, and, yeah, and yeah, then, he's mine. So, then the 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 uh the current players, I gotta go with Isaiah Thomas and I gotta go with Lonzo Ball. So well, you get two bat, more bench, bench players. Right off the bench, right off the bat, my bench has got two, uh, three guards, and then uh, man, I'm, I'm probably, I I got to go with Zion because okay. Zion is my my new obsession, and then um, to to round it out, let me think. I got to get a big in there. He's like one of my my favorite bigs. He's got to be current though. Yeah, no, that's that's the hard that's the hard part. I don't like all these bigs; they're all soft. I know one you like. Uh, who you got? He's Anthony Davis. No, he can't be on my favorite all time. Like, <laughs> can't put him in. I can't put him in this echelon. Okay, uh, all right. No, I guess I not then. I <laughs> no, I, I, I fuck with Ant, but not not my my top ten team. Um, shit, I don't know who my tenth spot would go to. I'll have to think on this one. Get, get, give me – oh, shit. I'm going to go with Marvin Williams. Okay. The, okay. Kid. the, the only the, – one of the only kids that I, I actually it. played high school, ball, high school ball against. So, my four guys would be uh, – I got I got Marvin, I got Zion, I got Lonzo, and, I, and Isaiah. And then Jamal's my sixth man. Okay. All right. Jacob, All right, so got? five – all time, yeah, five all time starters and then four current bench players. Yeah, the sixth man doesn't. It can be a player from whatever era you want. All right, uh, so f- five all time: Shaq, Duncan, Jordan, Kobe, uh, Johnson. Okay, and then six man: Jamal Crawford. Have to go with him. Okay, on the bench: uh, LeBron. Okay, KD. Okay, Russell Westbrook. Okay, and uh, I'm gonna go with James Harden. All right. Yeah. Not bad. All right. For me, my five starters are Magic, Kobe, MJ, Kevin Garnett, and Shaq. My sixth man is LeBron. My bench is Russell Westbrook, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, and Devin Booker. Your guys are so cookie-cutter, man. (laughs) I know. I know. You guys got to bring some flavor, man. You can see my list. You know who made the list. Oh yeah, for sure. All right, you got to have your boys out there. I know. I I mean, I mean, I love Russell Westbrook and Devin Booker, so I would consider them my no, boys no, in the I, league. I I would get I would I'll give you a pass on those. So LeBron as your sixth man, come on, man. <laughs> hey, listen, man. I, I I had to keep it keep it Laker centric. You know me. 
I have four. I have five you Lakers can, on if here. If you're, if I'm, if you're, if I'm Eric Scar, my all-time sixth man is Lamar Odom. Really? He came off the bench for for you guys. Yeah, but that's the best. The, that's, yeah, but this sixth man, it doesn't have to be a designated sixth man. It could just be one no, player from whatever cool. era you want. No, but it's way cooler if it is a sixth man. You know what I mean? Yeah, for and sure. What's wrong? What's what's wrong with Lamar? Nothing's wrong with Lamar. I love Lamar Odom. Could have gone exactly. with Lou Williams too. Yeah, definitely. I could have gone with Lou Williams. Lou Will, for sure. But all right, that's that's all I got. You guys got any shout outs this week? Um, how do you pronounce the Knicks kid's first name? Is it Deshaun? Oh, uh, Deshaun Knicks. Yeah, Deshaun Knicks. Another. Another five-star recruit going into the G League. Yep. Um, so I love to see just the progression of kind of like the route to the NBA. And I love to see the G League kind of blossoming and becoming a true like farm league, uh, like we've said so often. And it's, it's, it's cool to see these kids kind of get around being forced to go play in the NCAA and getting the opportunity to just kind of jump and straight becoming a pro. Yeah, he was the number one point guard in the 2020 class. He was signed to UCLA, actually, and then he decommitted to sign with the NBA G League. So it's it's tough for me as a fan because I wanted him to be a part of this this Bruin freshman class coming up uh, this year. But I, I think it's a good move for him. I, I think he has a lot of potential, and this could definitely, definitely benefit him. Yeah, I think it just, it's going to teach these kids how to be a pro. And so, yeah, shout out those kids for for making the decision to kind of just, you know, take a path that hasn't been taken a ton of times. You know, it's got to be a scary thing kind of being in the unknown, but it's going to work out. Uh, So for this week, my shout out goes to Dwayne Wade in the midst of all this Jordan Last Dance documentary stuff going on that he says that he's been producing or he's going to be starting to produce a 2008 Redeem Team documentary. I did see that. So if it's anything like this Jordan one, I'm already excited. I'm very excited for that whenever it comes. I I did see that uh, D-Wade said that, and I got very excited about that because... It it almost gave me chills because obviously it's sad that we're not going to hear from Kobe presently, but... You see all those uh, small clips of them like see, um, eating at the table together when they went to like a Wendy's. My favorite, my favorite is the LeBron impersonation. Yeah, when he's imitating Kobe of Kobe when he's doing the break the triangle and Kobe would go ISO. Yeah, it's my one of my favorite clips of LeBron ever. But it's like you see those little clips and it makes you kind of want more to see what happened like Definitely. throughout their games and you know even when they were in practice. And so that's what I want to see. So if Dwayne Wade can actually put this together and it's finalized and like. Maybe a couple years. I'm excited. Yeah. All right. I want to shout out former UCLA, now current New York Giant defensive back Darnay Holmes. He is the first student athlete from my high school, Calabasas High School, to ever be drafted by an NFL franchise. He was selected 110th overall in the fourth round by the Giants. In high school, he scored five touchdowns in the 2016 CIF championship game. Those five touchdowns were scored five different ways. He had a kick return touchdown, a receiving touchdown, a pick six, a rushing touchdown, and a punt return touchdown, all in that CIF championship game. He had an wow. amazing, yeah, un- unreal. He had an amazing article come out from the Players Tribune earlier this morning, actually, uh, basically about his story and uh, ultimately what led up to him being in 
getting drafted, really. So I highly suggest everyone goes and checks that article out. And with that, that wraps up this episode of the Sports Kingdom Show. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the iHeartRadio app, or wherever you decide to listen to to the Sports Kingdom Show so you can stay up to date on the newest episodes of the show. Don't forget to follow at TSK Show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Follow all of us at the Duke of Sports, at Tyler Pacholke, and at Jacob double underscore Gonzalez. We appreciate you all so much for listening. Stay tuned for the next episode of the TSK Show. Peace.